0: in Exodus chapter 20, we're looking at the fifth commandment, honor your father and your mother, and with that, would you stand for the reading of God's word? Exodus chapter 20, if you're physically able to stand with us, go ahead and stand. It's just one verse, but we will fill the time, as you guys know. (laughs) Exodus 20, verse 12, and if you're new to us, we are moving verse by verse through Exodus, but we're taking the commands one at a time, and we will be done in 2032. Just see you guys. (laughs) It reads this way. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be prolonged in the land which the Lord your God gives you. You may be seated. Father, thank you so much for this single but powerful Bible verse. Thank you for all of our families that are here together and those who have joined us via live stream. We're grateful for uh, every family member that calls Living Truth home or even those who have come to visit today to be part of a service here. We're grateful. And we're grateful for this command, this clear command, the first that deals with human relationships. And of course, it starts with mom and dad, with a father and a mother and the word honor. And I want to take a moment to honor my mom who's here today, Lord. Thank you for the beautiful mama that you gave me. And her faithfulness to me, my sister, and our family. And now uh, the growing generations that are represented here today as well. Uh, She has been faithful. Would you bless her, keep her, and let your beautiful face always shine upon her and give her strength and wisdom. In Jesus' name I pray and all God's people said, Amen. 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 Well, you can see that the verse starts with the word honor, And honor is a big deal to God. In fact, it's a word that you're going to find many times in the scriptures, and it's a very important attribute to God. In fact, the word honor in Hebrew is kavod. If you're a note taker, it's K-O-V-O-D, K-A-V-O-D, or K-A-V-E-D, kaved, And it's the word in the Bible used for the glory of God. So whenever the glory of God came down on the tabernacle or even on Mount Sinai, when someone wanted to express glory in the Old Testament, it's the word for honor. It's the word kabod. And in the ancient world, the way that they would determine the value of something is by the weight of it. So this word for honor is literally a heavy word with a heavy definition. It means to ascribe weightiness or value to God and to others. When you honor someone, you are saying to them, you are valuable to me. You are important to me. The way I introduce somebody, the way I pay attention to them, the time I give, etc., all ties back to this concept of honor. And oftentimes when I'm breaking down words for you, I share something, a book that's been written by Dr. Frank Seekins, and it's on the Hebrew picture language, and the way that Moses would have written Hebrew is from right to left, and it would have been in symbols or pictures, almost like the Chinese language is today. And when Moses would write, Dr. Seekens has given us the letters and the definitions. And so get this. This is the meaning of honor or kavod in the pictures. It means to open what opens the inside door or what opens the heart of a person. So whenever you give someone respect or honor, it literally opens the door of their heart to you. And think about the opposite because it's always a good way to learn. When you don't give people respect and honor, guess what it does? It slams the door of their heart shut. And this is a good way to be thinking about your relationships. If you have a relationship right now where it seems like the spirit of that other person has closed to you, It may well be that there's been a lack of honor and respect. And the way that you can reopen the the door to that person's innermost being or their heart is to regain that respect and trust. And you might say, well, how do you do that? Well, one way you do it is simply by asking for forgiveness. I mentioned at first service, there's a really old TV show called Happy Days. How many of you remember the show Happy Days? Okay, the, one of the main characters was the Fonz, and the Fonz wore a leather jacket, and this is kind of based in the 60s at a diner and everything, and he would just say, hey, hey, he was the Fonz, he was, he was cool, Arthur Fonzarelli, but Arthur Fonzarelli had an issue. He was almost like a superhero in the 60s with the slicked hair and everything, but when something went wrong, he couldn't say that he was wrong. So he, he would try. He would say, I was. I was. He couldn't get the NG out. He couldn't do, I was wrong. Right? It was a struggle for him. But when you admit to someone, and I'm not talking about playing games, I'm talking about being authentic, if you are wrong, The way to reopen the door to a relationship where the doors have been banging against each other is to admit that you have been wrong. And I'll tell you what, someone will respect you for admitting that you were were wrong and you will reopen the door. You will esteem value to that person. So the Hebrew word for honor is kavod and the opposite of honor is a Hebrew word called kalal. If you're a note taker, it's Q A -L 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 L. A-L. Now that's the word for dishonor, but it's actually the word for a curse in the Bible. And it means to lightly esteem somebody or put no value to them. So think about the words. Honor means to put weightiness or treasure or value on someone. Dishonor is a, another way to say a curse, and it means to treat someone lightly as if they don't matter to you. This is why The word honor is so important. And Dr. Seekins, he writes about this. He says, this opens the door to great friendships, great love, great community blessings in the church, the idea of weightiness. He says, without without honor, love is entertainment-based. It's how I feel. It's easily gained or lost. It is the delight and enjoyment of a child with a new toy. It is also the quick boredom that can follow. This is why our culture is always falling in love with something or someone new, but never building solid foundations for our friendships, marriages, and families. The changes, this changes when it's not entertainment, but value that determines our relationship. If I own a perfect copy of a Rembrandt, a famous painter, I will delight in it, I will enjoy it, but I might just as easily put it in a closet when I want something else. I treat it by my emotions, because I do not see it as having great value. But if I find out that it's an original worth millions of dollars, I would treat it with care, with honor. I would never put it in a corner, but always at the center. Human nature and human relationships treat emotions as temporary, but honor is foundational. So the way that we treat the Lord with our time, talent, and treasure, and other people will either communicate value to them or that we lightly esteem them and give no value to them. And this would include the way we invest our time, what we give to the kingdom of God. It all matters, and it all communicates what you truly honor. And of course, God wants you to honor him first. And it becomes very clear to others around us whether or not we place great significance on them. Even the way that we might introduce them to somebody or talk about them can communicate both honor or dishonor. And of course, God wants us to honor him first and foremost. When we close the inner door of a person, it's communicated in the Bible this way. Job said to his so-called friends who were poor comforters, "'How long will you torment me and crush me with your words?' These 10 times, Job 19, one through four, these 10 times, you have insulted me and you are not ashamed to wrong me. Even if I've truly erred, my error lodges with me. Proverbs 18, 14 says, the spirit of a man can endure being sick, but a broken spirit, who can bear it? And when we do this, and one of the main ways we do it is with our speech, we either give people honor with our speech or dishonor. We either open the door or we close the door. And I know that a room filled you know, with this, this many people and people watching or who will watch this later, you know, both may be true. Maybe you have relationships where you feel like you are valued and you're, you're, you're able to be really open with that individual because you feel like they know you and respect you. And there's other people where the moment they walk in the room, you close to them because you have past hurts or unforgiveness or resentment that's layered in your heart and glued those doors, so to speak, shut. And so the way that we get back to this is simply by re-esteeming people for the honor and value uh, that they're worth. I want you to think about what God did in communicating value to all of us. God so esteemed you, and I could even put it this way, honored you in the sense of value, That he sent his one and only son. That's how much he loves you. That's how much value he placed upon you. He sent his one and only son to die on the cross and pay the punishment, the the wrath penalty for our sin. That's the value that God puts on you. And we've been learning in the 10 commandments, we're at number five now, that the commandments can be summed up in this way, that we're to love God with everything that we are, vertical, and we're to love others as we love ourselves. The whole law is based on this. And God has set the tone for it, has he not? And he doesn't love us because we're perfect every day or we've got it all figured out. He still placed great value on us who are made in his image because that's who God is. And the more that you are conformed into the image of Jesus, the more that will come out in your life. It won't always be about what you're getting from somebody. You will just place value on them. Many historians believe, says Reichen, that a significant shift in American attitudes towards authority, honor, respect took place during the 1960s. Some of you who are here lived through that. It was the decade of the anti-establishment. And brethren, there's nothing new under the sun. Young people at that time were anti-business, anti-government, anti-military, anti-school But of all the institutions that came under under attack during the 60s, perhaps the most significant was the family. The family was under attack, just like it's under attack today. Today now the vehicle is socialism and critical theory, which has moved now into critical race theory. But if you really break it down, it all came from a Marxist mindset. Karl Marx believed that in order to control the masses, two institutions needed to be eliminated. That is the church and the family. And much of what you see happening today in all the turmoil and chaos of our culture at this time is simply a reattack on that and a redefinition or an attempt to redefine the family. I want you to see in the commandment, if you take a peek back at it, it says, honor your father and your mother. There's things that I have to say today that I didn't have to say 20 years ago, and I wanna say this to you as clearly as I can. The nuclear family is biblical with a mom and a dad or a father and a mother. There is nothing within the biblical construct of a same-sex family, of two parents of the same sex. The Bible knows nothing of that. In fact, in the beginning, in Genesis 2, it says a man will leave his father and his Mother and cleave to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. And this mystery, moving over to Ephesians, actually is a reflection of the church. When a husband and wife marry and have a family, it becomes a picture, when it's right, of the gospel and God's love for his people. And so you can see that the attack on the definition of the family is an attack on God because God created marriage and the family. You understand what's happening in our culture, brethren? Now, it's a different time. We're 50 years uh, removed, or actually 60 years removed from the 60s. And those of you who grew up in the 60s are now older. And you can see that the young generation is kind of imbibing the same things. And sometimes, when they post things about what's happening in our culture, I wonder if they even got the facts straight, but what they simply are doing is repeating a narrative that is popular. In other words, it's almost like it's popular just to be against something that, you know, is was at one time the cultural norm. This is where we are today, and this is why we need clear uh, defining of a biblical worldview, and of course, the clear teaching, of the scriptures. God knows how things work best. And he's the creator and sustainer of us. He made the family. And now the fifth commandment is the very first commandment in what's called the Decalogue or the Ten Commandments that deals with family. We've been over... That were to have no other gods before the God of the Bible, no idols. We're not to take his name in vain. We're to keep holy a special day that he said to worship him. And now the very first commandment on the human side starts with mom and dad. It says, honor, put heavy weight or esteem or value on your father and your mother. There's other passages in Leviticus that switch it and say on your mother and your father. No matter what the order may be, you get the concept. This is the principle. We're going to look at the principle or the command, the promise, and then I'm going to show you a person that lived this out perfectly and I'm sure you can guess who it was. We'll talk about that at the end. But let's just deal with the command to begin with. The command is to honor our parents. And by the way, the original command Uh, which is echoed from Mount Sinai to that generation that left Egypt, is specifically taking Scripture with Scripture addressed to older children, not necessarily the young kids. We walked in today, and maybe some of you were thinking, oh good, the kids are going to be straightened out today by Pastor Michael. Well, I'm going to give them some of the business, right? But uh, you need to know that every one of us is a child, and the main audience, at least in the Old Testament addresses, is to older children, maybe with parents that are getting older. And if you look at American culture right now, there are societies that are not even Christian, you know, Judeo Christian based, who do a better job caring for the elderly than we do. And this is really an epidemic in our culture. And one of the ways that we honor our aging parents. Is to take care of them the way that they took care of us. Shane and I were talking the other day, and you know, he little Melody is our grand, brand new grandchild, and uh, it's such, she's such a blessing. And I just like to rock her and just say, Melody, 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 in her eyes. <laughs> Who is this funny looking guy talking to me right now? But anyway, but right now I know with you guys, sleep is you know kind of at a minimum, and. Uh, there's there's a lot to do right there's she's constantly in need and you think about you don't you don't think about it when you're older of all the time that your parents and especially your mom put into the just those needs in the first year of life uh, so many demands i mean that that little baby couldn't survive without you guys but there's a lot of demands and And this is something that we don't think about as we get older. And even if you're a teenager right now, or maybe you're just kind of, you know, reaching uh, the adolescent stage, you don't think about everything your parents did for you, especially in those early years, and still do for you today. And so the honor is to be given to them. And honor in the Bible is reciprocal. That, That simply means it goes both ways. God says, if you honor me, I will honor you. And I will guarantee you. If you honor someone in your life, you'll get the honor back. Now that's not why you should do it. You should do it because it's right. But, but the principle is there. And we live now in a time where we would say a lot of honor has been lost. In fact, if you read the Westminster Shorter Catechism, if you read some of the Reformers and the early church fathers, they all kind of said the same thing. That if a person honored God and honored their parents, that would spill over to law, to educators, to pastors, to really any legitimate authority in life. If someone got it right at home, they would probably get it right in other contexts. But when it's wrong at home, then it's very, the chances are very good that they will not respect authority in other settings. Everybody with me? And so this is where our culture is. Paul wrote about it in Romans 121 when he said, even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks But they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. At the end of Romans 1, 28 through 30, he says, just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do do those things which are not proper. Now this is an ugly list, but here it is. They are filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, Insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, and disobedient to parents. That's Romans 128, verse 30. And Paul says that in the last days, difficult times will come in 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 3. And he gives a very similar list. And he says a sign of the last days will be that people are basically disobedient to authority. They're disobedient to parents. Now, I don't know if we're in the last days or not. I mean, we're in the last days in the, in the big sense of the word, but whether or not we're close to the return of Christ, I don't know for sure. But I look at our culture, and I would say, we need to regain the idea of honor. And if it doesn't start in the closest relationships of our lives, there's no way it's going to spill out into the culture. Uh, Abraham Lincoln put it this way. He said that the strength of a nation is the strength of its families. And of course, when Lincoln was the president, we had a civil war. He saw a nation divided. but, But the nation still was based on biblical values. And Lincoln even said, if the nation's gonna be strong, families have to be strong because families are what make up the nation. And so this idea of honor must be regained. And Augustine put it this way, He said, if anyone fails to honor his parents, is there anyone he will spare? Close quote. John put it this way if you say you love your brother whom you see, you say you love God whom you haven't seen and you hate your brother whom you see every day, how can the love of God be in you? Can I shift that a little bit? You say you love God whom you haven't seen, but you hate your parents? How can the love of God truly be in your heart? I was reading a, a book this week, a commentator writing on this passage, and he said he came across a magazine that was re- targeting teenage girls. And it said something like this, do you hate your parents? Question mark. It went on, who doesn't? And then essentially basically said, ways to deal with your hatred of your parents. Now, if that's an acceptable norm where magazines to teenage girls are being written with that assumption, certainly there's something wrong. Now I know as we grow up, you know we go through a lot of different things and we hit adolescence and there's a lot of confusion and sometimes we kind of don't know how to deal with our parents and our parents can get under our skin and when we become a teenager, sometimes it can get a little awkward. But when you hit your early 20s, you will, f- you will come to this realization. Your parents have gained a lot of knowledge in the last couple of years. When you hit your 20s, you're like, man, they're a lot smarter than I remember. Now, here's a revelation. They're not smarter than you remember. They were smart. You were just being dumb. <laughs> Can I get a witness? Yes. Now, it doesn't mean that your parents are always right. I, I know that uh, we'll turn to a passage in a moment that talks about we're not to provoke our kids to anger And I know sometimes as a a dad, I would come home and there'd be a broken lamp, as Shane was alluding to. And I would say, who broke the lamp? And before I would even give him a chance to speak, usually the oldest got in trouble just because he was the oldest. And then it would be something like this. Why are you playing football in the living room? Because we play it with you in the living room, dad. Well, don't do what I do. Do what I say. (laughs) Right? Well, then the beautiful blonde lady would come home. (laughs) We tried to... Duct tape the lampshade back together or something. (laughs) But as parents, it does go both ways. We also need to give honor and respect. It is a reciprocal thing. And of course, here kids are being instructed, but Cole puts it this way. He says, to honor one's parents includes to prize them, to care for them and to show them respect and reverence. The command is given to children, but not only while they're children. This is not a popular doctrine in our modern world with youth being worshipped and old age, dreaded or despised. The result is the folly by which men and women strive to remain eternally youthful, only to find it to be an impossible task. And so here's the thing. There's a lot of talk, even in pastoral circles, about millennials. And even though millennials do get beat up, We have many amazing millennials in this fellowship who are committed to the Lord and are awesome people. But as a category, sometimes millennials are frustrating. And I was sitting with a group of pastors and one of our young gung-ho pastors in the community is just starting up a church. We gotta reach millennials. What do we do to reach millennials? And he looked around the table and he was like, we have no idea how to reach them. And one pastor just said, I don't wanna talk about millennials anymore. I'm sick of talking about (laughs) millennials. Right, And we know that churches need young people to come in because obviously you guys are gonna take the mantle should the Lord not come back in our lifetime and you're gonna carry on. And, and we don't want just all old people, but, but here's the thing. <laughs> Sorry if you're a little older, <laughs> but I am too. Uh, I will tell you, okay, today's my birthday and no, I did not plan the sermon to fall on the commandment, but, but I find it very convenient. Uh, and I, I am celebrating it and I'm, I'm praying that my kids will take the Bible seriously my, and they will honor their dad. Uh, you know, they, they can think of ways to do that. But I will say, you know, we all want to look young and, and feel good. And, and I have hit the age where I qualify for certain discounts at certain restaurants. And not only that, I, I hit the senior discount uh, age, and I'm also being addressed as grandpa sometimes, which is a bit frightening. <laughs> I, I'm coming to terms with it, but it's a little different. Now, I'm, I, I love being a grandpa, but you get what I'm saying. It's just weird, you know. Grandpa? What, what do you mean? Grandpa. <laughs> so, I, but I do like the discount, so I went into a golf establishment, and I, and I claimed that I hit the mark, you know, and I want the discount. And, he, and the guy on the other side of the counter questioned that. You don't look like you're that age. And I said, oh, bless you. May the Lord bless you. May he keep you. Hold on, I'm going to go get some anointing of oil. May his face shine upon you. May he give you shalom, give you peace. Keep talking to me. Bless you, my child. Anyway. But the truth is that our older generation is sometimes taken for granted. And Pastor John loves to say about the Silver Saints ministry here at the fellowship, that if we would just be quiet and listen to our, our Silver Saints, we would, there's a lot for us to glean. We don't know everything. And there is no, I heard a little clap over there, I think a senior was. <laughs> there is no substitute for experience. And so if you're trying to find out some wisdom and you're going through something, you might want to ask someone who's older than 15. All right? I'm not saying that you can't include someone young, but I'm saying you might want to ask, look, if you're going through something right now, here's a word of advice. The people who love you the most will tell you the truth. And even if you don't want to hear it, they will tell you the truth because they're watching out for your best. Amen? Now, that may not always fit with your agenda, but there it is. All right, there's a a passage in Ephesians, let's turn over there together, where Paul addresses this same command. He's actually going to quote from Exodus 20, and I want you to see the setting of it. Paul's been talking about uh, marriage and family, and if you want just a foundational verse, because some of you might be asking, well, how do you do this? How do you find honor when you don't feel it, you know, when... It's not always clicking. You don't want to be phony. Well, Paul in Ephesians 5.18 gives us a way that we can do it. He says, don't get drunk with wine, Ephesians 5.18. That is dissipation, but be filled with the spirit. Now that's the foundation of how you do it. He talks about worship. Then he talks about wives in Ephesians 5.22, husbands in Ephesians 5.25. And he uses the idea of honor or, excuse me, love and respect in verse 33. A book has been written about this. And I will tell you this, that this is kind of how men and women are wired as terms of our our most important things to us. And ladies, this this is a free word of advice from someone who's done a ton of marriage counseling. And I can tell you, this is how men are. One of the most important things to a man is respect. Guys, if that's true, would you raise up your hand? Okay, that's why even if you watched uh, gang warfare, the reason that people will kill each other in the streets, I'm talking about you know, gang members, is because they feel disrespected. That is just, it's just a huge thing for a man. I, I don't understand completely why, but a man will thrive in the arena of honor. And if he feels disrespected, that is the time that you will see men respond you know, the most in terms of clamming up, becoming angry, etc. Now, in Ephesians 5.33, there's another principle that what a woman needs from us or a wife needs from us, guys, is our tender, supportive love. And it's not that women don't need respect and men don't need love, but there's a gentleman that's written a book on this and basically said that Paul, through the Holy Spirit, is keyed on some of the uppermost things that we need, and I share this at first service. When my wife says to me, that was a good sermon, that means more to me than anybody else commenting. And I often tell couples, there's no one who can honor and love you more than your spouse, and there's no one who can hurt you more. There's no one who can so open the door of your heart, and there's no one that who can so close the door. And this is why this, the main tool that we have to communicate honor is our tongue. It's our speech. If you don't communicate it, people will be guessing. They won't know. You can think it. Guys are famous for thinking things, right? And you tell your wife, we're moving to Idaho. She's like, what? (laughs) What do you mean? You say, well, I've been thinking about this for five years. Yeah, but she never told me. Oh, I didn't. I thought thinking about it was telling you. This is the male mind. And I have one more thought on this for you guys. I guess I should communicate it so you know what I'm thinking. <laughs> I was stolen from Ray Comfort. I have one more thought and then I'm just gonna sit here and think about it. <laughs> but let me communicate it to you. <laughs> I think you get the point. <laughs> if you wanna walk in honor, you need to be filled with the Spirit. The way that you fulfill the righteous requirements of the law, Romans 8, 4, key verse is by walking in the spirit and not in the flesh. You can't generate this all on your own. Take a look at Ephesians 6, 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. The reason that you should obey is that it's the right thing to do. It's what God says it. Colossians three twenty says, this pleases the Lord. Now, there's a couple of scary passages. I'm not gonna turn you to them, but if you are interested, Leviticus 20 verses six through nine and Deuteronomy 21, 18 through 21 are two scary passages about what happened to people in the Old Covenant if they disrespected their parents. And let me just say, it didn't end well for that person. God took it very seriously if there was disrespect. In fact, it sounds like it's one of the most serious sins that someone could commit. So we're to obey, we're to honor, honor your father and your mother, it's a commandment with a promise. God knows how we are. He knows, you know, sometimes you tell your kids, okay, if you, if you do well here, we'll go out to eat or we'll do something. God's a smart father, isn't he? He says, okay, do this. And there's even a promise. You don't do it because there's a promise, but there is a promise that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. There's a comedian from years ago who used to say, he would say to his child, I brought you into this world and I can take you out of it. So there's a promise of a long, prosperous life. We'll talk about that in a second. But the the original promise was to long, prolonged days in the promised land. It was actually a promise for the nation of Israel. Now think about it with me. The nation of Israel went into the promised land eventually through the leadership of Joshua. They took Jericho. They entered into Canaan. They never conquered the whole territory. But what happened? Well, they disobeyed and dishonored God, and God used Assyria to destroy the 10 northern tribes up in the northern part of Israel. In 586 B.C., God used Babylon through King Nebuchadnezzar to destroy the southern tribes and take them into captivity for 70 years. Then, under the leadership of Nehemiah and Ezra, they returned, rebuilt the temple, and Malachi gives a final warning to the nation to repent. 400 years of silence. John the Baptist shows up on the scene. Repent. The kingdom of God is is at hand. He introduces the Messiah to the nation. The nation largely rejects him. And in 40 years from the time that he died, God uses Rome in 70 AD to destroy Jerusalem. And for 1900 years, Israel was out of the land. Instead of being prolonged in the land, they were judged and disciplined by God and out of the land until 1948, brethren. God said, You want your days prolonged? You want blessing? There, there are scholars who would say this is not necessarily a guarantee of a long life for everyone who's an honorable young child, etc. But this is a promise, it's a corporate promise. Think about this: America planted its flag on biblical values. Yes, the country was imperfect. Yes, there are problems. But they said, this is who wh- where we stand, this is where we get our wisdom. This is what our values are about. And America has now moved from those values. And here we are in a land that we said we've been blessed by God. Since God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, will our days be prolonged if we turn our back on God? I, I don't think we can take that for granted. So what is the solution for a nation like us? We live in America. We're not ancient Israel. We're not standing at Mount Sinai hearing the commandments. What do we do now? We return to God. And when we return to God, he will return to us. And when we honor him, he says it this way in 1 Samuel 2.30, those who honor me, I will honor. Those who curse me or don't honor me, I will lightly esteem. 1 Samuel 2.30, you honor God, he will honor you you don't honor God, then he won't honor you. It's just that simple. And so this is the biblical prescription for our nation. We get back to honor. Amen. You guys think that's a pretty good idea that we get back. Oops. We get back to being an honorable nation, honoring the things that God says are important. My son, Proverbs 3, 1 and 2. Don't forget my teaching. Let your heart keep my commandments for length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Proverbs 15, 30, says, he whose ear listens to a life-giving reproof will dwell among the wise. Deuteronomy 5, 33 says, you shall walk in all the way which the Lord your God commanded you, that you may live and that it may be well with you and that you may prolong your days, Deuteronomy five thirty three in the land which you shall possess. The principle is the commandment, and there's a prophetic promise. You do this, you'll get long blessed life in the promised land. And of course, the ultimate journey for the believer is to end up in the millennial kingdom of Christ, where we'll have a long, eternal, blessed existence, amen, in his company forever. Honor me as your king, and I will give you eternal life. And I will say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter in to the promises, to the joy of the Lord. Amen? This is what is at stake in the, in the idea of walking out this commandment. But there's another side, and I don't want you to miss it. And here's what it says, fathers. And in verse 1, it addresses parents, so it could be both mom and dad here. Fathers, don't provoke your children to anger, but rather bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. In other words, you you have to teach them these things. For children, you are their first church, their first school, their first hospital, their first everything. They're gonna get this from you. But don't provoke them to anger, parents. How, How might you do that? By not listening to their heart. You know, I told the story, sometimes I would come home and something would be broken. And, and oftentimes, I tell you, I have a regret. I didn't, I didn't often listen to what my kids were trying to communicate to me, like, he did it, <laughs> he did it. No, not always. Sometimes they were trying to explain, but I, in my anger, shut them down. I didn't let them talk. And so we, we, we can't provoke, provoke our kids. We've got to place the same value that we want on them. And try to calm down and say, Lord, please fill me with your Spirit so that I don't alienate this child, or I don't provoke them to be angry, or I don't live one thing when I'm preaching from a pulpit and another thing when I'm talking to them in the living room. I want to be as consistent as I can be. And I need your Holy Spirit. We all, we all know that. Now, we're going to turn back to the Old Testament. We're winding down, but let's go to Deuteronomy just for a moment. I want to show you the repetition of the command. So the next generation was growing up and the 10 commandments are repeated in Deuteronomy chapter five. Here's what it says in verse 16. Honor your father and your mother. It says, as the Lord your God has commanded you that your days may be prolonged and that it may go well with you on the land which the Lord your God gives you. Now skip all the way to chapter six, verse one. Now this Deuteronomy 6, one commandment This is the commandment, the statutes, and the judgments which the Lord your God has commanded me to teach you, that you might do them in the land where you are going over to possess it, so that you and your son and your grandson may fear the Lord your God to keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be, here's the promise, prolonged. O Israel, you should listen and be careful to do it, that it may be well with you, and that you may multiply greatly just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you. In a land, here's the promised land, flowing with milk and honey. And then the famous Hebrew Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, let's say it together. The Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. These words, which I am commanding you today, shall be on your heart. Essentially, Moses repeats the promise and says, if you want to be well, if you want to live a beautiful, prosperous, long life, if you want to be blessed in the land of promise, simply do what God says, and he will bless you, and you'll be in a land flowing with milk and honey, which are metaphors for plenty and blessing and all the good things of life. This is what God calls upon us to do, to honor him, and he will honor us. Now, back to uh, Exodus, and we'll finish it. In rapid fire, I've got verses that talk about honor. Uh, You can go back and listen to this if you want to, but in rapid fire, here's what it says about honor in the Bible. Honor wisdom, and she will exalt you. She will honor you and embrace, if you embrace her. Proverbs 3, 9 says, Honor the Lord from your wealth. Proverbs eleven sixteen 16 says, a gracious woman attains honor. Proverbs 15, 33 says, before honor comes humility. Romans 12, 10 says, give preference to others in the church in honor. Romans 13, 7 says, give honor to whom honor is due. 1 Thessalonians 4, 4 says, possess your own body or vessel in sanctification and honor. 1 Timothy 5, 3 says, honor widows who are widows indeed. 1 Timothy 5.17 says, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. 1 Timothy 6.1 says, Regard your masters as worthy of all honor and don't be disrespectful. 1 Timothy 6.1 and 2. 1 Peter 2.17 says, Fear God and honor the king. 1 Peter 2.18 says, Be submissive to your masters with all respect. 1 Peter 3, 7 says, Grant your wife honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life. And when you don't do it, James says, there will be chaos, disorder, and every evil thing if you follow demonic, earthly wisdom instead of godly, biblical wisdom. It will be the difference between chaos and order, between what's ugly and what's beautiful. And if I had you guys line up and come and share your stories, I know I would get many Affirmations about the difference between doing it your way and God's way. Amen? And the difference that it can make in a marriage and a family and parenting is everything. You got the principle, the promise is long, blessed time, long enduring in the land. And now I'm going to take you to a person who lived that out, who embodied honor. And his name, you can guess it, is Jesus. The night before Jesus died on the cross, he cried, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Not my honor, but yours. If there's another way, but I will honor you. And the next day he's nailed to a cross. And standing at the crucifixion site were several people, including his mom and a man named John. John, the beloved disciple, used to rest his head on Jesus' chest, and there was a close, intimate relationship. It becomes clear to us that Joseph Joseph of Joseph and Mary has died, and Jesus' brothers don't believe in him yet. They're not at the crucifixion site. And Jesus, honoring his father, dying for us, showing us the value that he places on us, then looks down at his mom and essentially says, woman, look, behold, your son And then he says to John, behold, your mother, as if to say, I'm going to honor my mom in my dying moments. You, John, you take care of my mom. Isn't it amazing that Jesus in his last breaths, if you will, honors his father and his mother to make sure that she's well taken care of. Now, Jesus died at about 33 is what the Bible says. Mary was a young mom, so let's just guess that Mary's about 50. This is a guess. Jesus from the cross says, John, I'm gonna honor my mother and I wanna make sure that she's taken care of. You take care of her. That's what Jesus is saying. Jesus Christ is the ultimate embodiment example of honor. And the church's goal, as we are changed little by little, It's to be sanctified or changed more into the image of Jesus. We are to honor the way he honors, amen? And Jesus says, when you do these things, people will know that you belong to me. Don't worry about what everybody else is doing because what everybody else is doing doesn't make it right. You be a young man or a young woman of honor. You be a middle-aged person of honor. You be an older adult of honor. Honor is never out of season because it's the stuff that God cares about the most. And Jesus demonstrated that as he honored people, touching them with compassion. And of course, I just shared with you the story of his mom. And I want to leave you with this final thought. If the Lord honored you in giving so much value to your existence, that he would come down and die for you. Wouldn't you want to honor him by both trusting in his finished work at the cross and through the resurrection, but also living your life in honor of the king? Amen. He's worth it. He's king of kings and Lord of lords. Father, thank you for this wonderful church family. Thank you for this fifth commandment, the first of the 10 that's Speaking of horizontal relationships, and it is important to think about that it starts with a family. It starts with honor to a mom and to a dad. And we're grateful that we have families represented here that are endeavoring to do just that. And Lord, in areas where we can amend our ways and improve and have opportunities to do so, would you please move us to do so, to be people of honor to honor you. You've given us a commandment and we want to honor you with it. Would you help us in areas where there may be brokenness or a need to reopen the inside door and uh, start afresh? Lord, would you uh, allow your Holy Spirit to empower and fill your church so that we don't try to do this by our might or our power, but by your Spirit? With your head and heart bowed, if you've not asked Jesus to be your king, And this is a great, this is the supreme way that you would honor him. Trust in his finished work. You have to have a moment where you just say, Lord Jesus, I believe that you're the king. I believe that you came down to die on that terrible cross for me. Pray it if it's you. I believe that you defeated death and resurrected. And I'm confessing you as my king, my Lord, my savior, and my God. Please forgive me for the times that I've fallen short. Please renew me by your Holy Spirit and help me to be a person of honor.